Let me go ahead, and, go ahead and invite you to pick up the Word of God and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, a very popular chapter uh, in the Word, in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, in a series right now we know called Lost. And the next few weeks we're going to dive into one of the most popular known stories that there is, is the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. And we're going to explore some thoughts with this. And there's some primary purposes. There is a primary purpose in it. But there's a lot of things that we can learn that we can take from this. Because we need to take where we currently are sitting and almost close our eyes and imagine being where Jesus was. And trying to imagine how they're listening and how these people are hearing the story that's being communicated. You can sense the... (laughs) The dust, right, and the heat coming down. Um, And it's toward the latter months of the life of Jesus Christ. All right, so we don't know exactly when, but we know that he had already been serving in the Messianic ministry now for a few years. And this is nearing the end of his time. He's, some people would say he's now on his way to Jerusalem for that last time. And he's starting that journey. He's starting to move forward in that way. And along the way, he's made um, some pretty big enemies. He's had some enemies, primarily the Pharisees. These are individuals who were just, they were righteous and devout in many ways, but um, they were legalistic, right? That's one of the differences. Um, People ask me even this, you can imagine the conversations I had at Disney, by the way, with different individuals standing in line, right? I just look at someone, so do you know Jesus? Right? I got kicked off of a few. Um, so I'm having these conversations because people are asking, well, what do you think? And people would label me as being conservative, right? And I am. I'm a conservative individual. This is a conservative church, meaning that we just believe in the Word of God. It's a better way to say it. I believe in the Bible, all right? So that's who we are, and that's what we want to teach. That's what we want to be able to preach. Um, well, these guys, yes, um, they loved God, but they were legalistic, meaning they were doing things for self, rather than for God. And that's sometimes how you can understand the the difference between those who are legalistic. And they were doing so much for themselves, and it was a struggle, and they really didn't like some of the things that Jesus was doing, some of his teachings, some of the things that he was doing in terms of actions, some of the healings, when he would heal, even on the Sabbath, etc. And so here he is, And he has an audience of both sinners and tax collectors and also Pharisees. We find that in the very beginning of Luke chapter 15. I covered that a couple of weeks ago when we started with the the parable of the lost sheep. Last week, Pastor Jim covered the parable of the lost coin. And we know that now these tax collectors and these sinners, the people that would have been rejected by the Pharisees, are also there listening in on some of this. And Jesus is confronting the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And let me say now, this story, if we really soak this story in and imagine, think about what's taking place, it will also confront us on many levels. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, and this parable, what we discovered as he's confronting the Pharisees, we're going to discover and learn that this parable opens our eyes. It helps us evaluate who we are, but it also revitalizes our heart, if you allow it to. If you allow it to. 
So those are exciting things to be able to explore today, to know that this is a passage of Scripture that can really open our spiritual eyes to who God is. It can help us evaluate who we are, but it can also revitalize our heart to want to be more like that of Jesus. There's three different movements in this, uh, in this parable that we have. In Luke chapter 15, it begins with verse 12. You can go there and you can look at it. And in 12 through 20, this is really that lost son. It's talking about the prodigal son. That's what we're going to hit today. And then in 20 to 24, we have this, I would say, the waiting father. This father who's waiting for his son to hopefully return. And then after that, 25 to 32, you have the older brother. We'll get into some of those dynamics as we walk through this. That older brother who has so much influence, so much voice, uh, and yet he uses it in all the wrong ways. Uses it in all the wrong ways. So this parable is addressing the wayward sinner. It's addressing religious people. It's addressing everybody, and we're all going to be able to relate to it. I want to go ahead and jump into Scripture here because it tells us, and I'll even come back a little bit to verse 11 because he says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. Two sons, we already know that there was a huge discrepancy between the elder and the younger. In fact, with an inheritance, hopefully you've heard the story before, but if you have not, it'll really open up your heart and your ears today. But with an elder, they would always receive double the amount of inheritance from the younger. Okay, now I was a younger son. My parents resolved this entire issue by simply not having an inheritance. It's just, it was very kind of them. They avoided all that bickering but here we have two sons the older and the younger and he says there was a man he had the two sons the younger one said to his father it just it just jumps into this imagine the tension in your family that already exists when this is how a story begins father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them. Now we know that typically, as I said, the older would receive more. We don't know exactly how he's dividing his property. But for this younger son, of all people, the younger son, to come and say this, this is big news. You would never receive your inheritance until after the death of your father during these days. Never. And so knowing you're not going to receive that inheritance until the death, to ask for it early is incredibly disrespectful. The Pharisees, remember, they're listening to this, and for their history, for their religion, for everything that they believe in, this is outrageous. You wouldn't do such a thing. In fact, to do such a thing is also the same as looking at your father and saying, you know what, I want nothing to do with you. I wish that you were dead. I wish that you didn't live anymore. That's what he's communicating. So again, let's go back. And let's think about the dynamics and the relationships that you have in your own family. What do they look like? What do they feel like? Right? Every family is dysfunctional. So people come and they, and they speak with me sometimes. They're like, hey, I just have a dysfunctional family. And I always just tell them, join the club. We all do. Right? I will, if you show me someone who just says, man, my family is just perfect. Look at us. There's no dysfunction at all. I will show you someone who's incredibly naive. Because we all have struggles because we're all sinners. 
And you think about the dynamic of this family and the tension that's there and the hardship that's there that allows a younger son to walk up to the father and say, I want nothing else to do with you. I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance. That's how it begins. What a powerful way. Like there's no soft opening at all. He just jumps into this. And so we're introduced to these two sons, and there's this struggle that obviously is existing. And many of us are struggling in our relationship with God, aren't we? Many of us are struggling in our relationship with the Father and how we view Him. That's one of the things that we learn here. We learn what this younger son really expects of the Father. You're here to do for me. Not the other way around. You're here to do for me. And maybe some of us have that type of relationship with God. By the way, it never works out very well. I'll go ahead and tell you the the end. Because God's already done everything he needs to do for us. We are now here to do for him and to serve his name, the name of Jesus. And so here is these, these family dynamics. And there, there seems to be a lack of gratitude in this, this man's heart. But really, the responsibility of, of a son during that day was to take their inheritance and not to spend it on themselves, but to build it for the future generations. Isn't that what we're trying to do even as a church? To build this church, that's what they did 50 years ago, they did it again 30 years ago, they did it again 10 years ago. We're wanting to do it again now. We're wanting to build a legacy here. It's not necessarily for us, but who? For our children and for our grandchildren, for the people in this area. Isn't that what we want to be about? That's what their families were about. And so he's really, he's shunning his responsibility. He just says, Father, give me my share of the estate. And the, the Greek here is actually the word um, that you would use if you're wanting just the property, right? You want the goods. You want the cash. So here he is communicating such a hard thing for us to be able to, to hear. Now, one of the things that stands out to me about this passage is you're looking at it. He says, so he divided his property between them. You know, here's this son, and I, I don't know what this guy has done to try to be in a healthy relationship with his father. But here's a son who seems to have given up on it. He wanted to wash his hands of that relationship. He wanted to be finished with that relationship. In fact, here's the way I would communicate it, is that he didn't want the responsibility of being in a relationship with the Father. And a lot of times, we don't want the the responsibility of being in a relationship with the Father. There's a responsibility for all who call on the name of Jesus Christ. There's a responsibility that we have in our life. And so many people today, they don't want to have any commitment. They don't want to have any responsibility. They want to make sure they're free to go and to do as they feel free at any time, no matter what. That's people today. Welcome to the United States of America. 
So that makes it even difficult for us to be able to process this because some of us would go, listen, I don't want the responsibility of being in a relationship sometimes. I can understand this guy wanting to go and do his own thing and to get rid of that life of having to be the younger sibling, of having to always be under his shadow. He wants to go and do his own thing, and that's a wonderful opportunity for him. You need to let him be set free and to fly with the eagles. That's what some of us would say. No. He didn't want the res- do, you, or do you receive the responsibility of being in a relationship with God the Father? There is a responsibility. There's a responsibility of, of being a father that I have with my own children. Right? You know, we met some friends at Disney. My family's not back yet, so I can tell any story I want. We met some friends there from Disney that have some they have three sons, and Carson is very close in age with one of them, my oldest. And a, a few days ago, um, I had an opportunity to teach my son to play shuffleboard. He challenged me, and I demolished him. Um, I'm that kind of father. And we're sitting there, we're playing shuffleboard, having a good time. And I said, hey, man, how's it going with your friend this week? He goes, oh, it's good. It's a lot of fun. I said, have you had any conversations with some eternal purpose? Because he knows what that means, eternal value. (laughs) I'm going to get to that, Dad. Okay, I trust you. Last night, the phone rang, 1145. He woke me up. It was my son. Couldn't sleep, so he went in, snuck into my wife's bedroom, took her phone, and called me. Now, there's discipline issues we can talk about later. <laughs> says, Dad, I just needed before, I, I couldn't go to sleep. I had to tell you that I, I prayed with my friend today, and we talked about things that he could do to be a greater example to his younger brothers in Christ Jesus. I'm like, that's a good day. Right? There, there, there's a responsibility and at 11.45 when he called, a lot, a lot of things ran through my head that I wanted to do to him. All right? But when he started to speak, all of a sudden my attitude changed and I started to sit up in the bed and I started to listen to him and we concluded by having a time of prayer on the phone at 11.58. Because that's the responsibility of being a father. In fact, that was his responsibility as a son to let me know that he's doing what was asked of him. There's a responsibility that comes in any relationship. And too many people are trying today to avoid the responsibility that exists in being in a relationship with the Father. We don't want any strings attached. You give me mine, God, and I will take it and I will do with it whatever I want. But we know it doesn't work that way. Now, there is a surprise here. I've already read it to you in Luke uh, 15, verse 12. It says, and so the father divided the inheritance. You look at that and you think, what? It says, and he divided his property between them. He actually did it. He actually divided his wealth between them. Now, that's already a place for me in this story. I go, I would never have done that. I would have just kicked them out of the house, be done with them. They're going to be that child, fine. Let them learn the hard way. But he divided his wealth. 
between them. Rather than strike him or hit him on the face, the father grants him what he wants. Now, here's something I've learned in life is that the greater love you have for someone, the greater the pain is when that love is rejected. You ever found that out before? Right? There, there's, a, there's a pain that comes with that. Think about the father here who loves his son so much. And when his son is coming and saying, I want my share of the inheritance, there is a rejection. He knows that he is being rejected as the father. And I'm telling you now, the greater love you have for someone, the greater the pain is when that love is rejected. And the father here must be grieving because the son wants to cash out and leave and go do his own thing. No, you gotta remember, we know who the father is in the story. The father's God here, so you gotta, you got to understand this. It says, not long after that, just jumps in in verse 13 through 16, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So real quick, I hope you to understand. Now I'll jump into the rest of this passage. Here's a guy... <laughs> Who has everything he could want. His father, generations before his father, had likely worked to give him this estate. To give him this legacy that he could build upon. He rejects it. Says, I want my portion of the inheritance now. He runs off, squanders all of it in wild living. And as a result of that, he ends up losing all of it. It happened very, very quickly. Something that had taken likely generations to build for him, to build for the family, he wastes like that. Done. He just throws it away. Says that after he had been feeding the pigs, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I think this is someone who was probably pretty accustomed to people doing for him. They had servants, right? He wasn't accustomed to having to do anything really for himself that was of the type of work that he was now having to do. And that was a difficulty. That was a hardship for him. Too many of us, even as parents, we're not requiring our children to work for anything. But let me tell you, in any relationship, there's a responsibility that comes with it. And there's hard work that comes in that relationship. I literally have reminders on my calendar that says, be a good friend today. Because it's so easy for me to get wrapped up in my own doing, my own being, that I forget about other people and I forget about communicating. I have notes that says, be a good husband today. And you're going, Joel, that's kind of silly. No, it's not. Because there's a responsibility that comes with being a husband. And I don't want to take that for granted. 
And this, this kid, is what I want to call him, took for granted this amazing opportunity that he had been given. Every single person in this place, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you submit to him, you have an opportunity to do something with your life right now that is beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. Ephesians chapter 3. You can be a light, an example of the kingdom of God. Are you taking that responsibility seriously? Or are you kind of existing in it and you kind of step into that area when you want to and then the rest of the time you want to live on your own? When you get low on money, hey dad, help me out. This boy, he just took off and he left. It says he went off to a distant country. I want to show you a map here. Um, he actually, you see the Sea of Galilee. Jesus did a lot of his teaching right there near Capernaum. Um, it, it, he didn't travel very far. Likely to Decapolis that you see there in blue. He, it wasn't really that far off distance in terms of miles or kilometers. However, in terms of culture, it was. Anytime the Word of God says that someone went east, that really stood for they went away from God. Okay? And so we had this individual who ran away from God. He didn't want anything else to do with the Lord, with his father. Uh, I want to go ahead and stop here for a moment. I know in a couple of weeks I'm going to hit the older son. But I need to hit a little bit of the older son right now because here all this is happening. The elder son would have huge responsibility in the relationship even with the younger brother. You've got to put yourself in this mindset. So if you're the oldest in your own family, there would have been a responsibility right now to step in to me and say, Brother, what are you doing? Disrespecting our father in this way. But we don't hear anything of the elder son right now. He's, I think he's standing to the side watching it, probably somewhat glad that it's going down because he knows that then everything else that's left is going to be his to begin with and he can be in charge. Maybe that's his emotion with it. Maybe that's how he is processing this entire situation. But where is the older brother? He doesn't even rise to the defense of the father. He never steps up and says, wait, what are you doing? Maybe he didn't love the father either. Maybe he just wanted to use what had been already given to him rather than cultivate the relationship. Maybe he was just happy to get to have his share and stay home and be in charge. But... None of that would have happened to his brother, possibly, if he would have stepped in and said, what are you doing? But he chose to remain silent from everything that we see. He didn't speak anything. Isn't that what we're doing today as a church? We're choosing to remain silent? You see, I don't believe that God gave us his church in order to come and to simply say, hey, we're going to live the way we live. Other people, if they choose the way they, to live a certain way, they can do that as well, and we'll just kind of blend in. God calls the church to set the tone of culture of being God-honoring. And you cannot do that and remain silent when it comes to the sins of the world. And too many people are just like the older son, and we're just sitting back we're just watching the show. Can't believe they're doing this right now. 
Oh, man. Yeah, he's got no hope of making it through this relationship. Oh, look at how they're giving their life away to sin. Too bad for them. And we don't say anything. We're, we're just sitting back here watching the show. Where was he in this? So that's a disgrace to me. See, I, I firmly believe that you cannot have spiritual maturity without spiritual accountability. That's something I speak about all the time with our staff, with elders. You cannot have spiritual maturity without spiritual accountability. But the older brother, he didn't want to step into that, did he? Because that gets messy. But you know what? There's a responsibility in being in a relationship with the father. What are you doing with that responsibility? Right? I have people come see me all the time. And I talk to them and I say, listen, you already know what I'm saying. Do you think that that's sinful? Yes. Are you going to do anything about it? We don't want to. Well, you know what I'm going to tell you. And for me not to tell them that is not taking seriously the responsibility I have as being in a relationship with the Father. Where was the guy? So, I don't know where he is, but his, his younger brother, he ends up leaving because there's nothing done about it. And it says that he squanders everything that he had. He squ- means he just scattered it. Like, he wasted it completely. That's what that is conveying. He just, he wasted it. He threw away his inheritance in reckless living. I mean, this guy is just running as far as he could from responsibility, isn't he? Even his wealth, the responsibility. Wealth brings responsibility, by the way. According, you can look at Scripture. It says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Meaning, if you've been given a lot, and it's not that you're required to spend more on you, it's that you are now going to be required to make sure that you have the opportunity to spend more on the kingdom of God. And he just gives it away. Here's a great question. I think there's, there's two or three that really stand out to me as I read through this. Is, is the first is, what purpose does your faith serve? And the reason that this question stands out to me so much is because now when he had spent everything, right, he then comes to his senses. Meaning his faith, his relationship with the Father really wasn't serving in any productive way. He ran away from it. He just said, you know what, I don't want to do, deal with anything. I don't want to have to cope with that. And his faith isn't serving any real purpose in his life except to get what he wants. Now, there was, though, a severe famine that was occurring in the country. The people, I think, they would have known the stories. They would have known famine. So there was a famine that was happening. And it tells us that he began to be in need. And for the first time, he can't supply what he needs for himself. This is the beginning of the end for him, right? And so he comes up with a plan to figure it out on his own. 
And so he runs farther from God, and so he wants to go and start working and making it on his own because I'm sure he can't imagine the horrific, the horrific response of having to go back home. Things are tough. Things are hard. He left a loving father, getting nothing but pain, getting nothing but loneliness. And he goes off to one of the citizens, which a citizen would have been a privileged person. Not everybody was a citizen, by the way. That would have been a privileged individual. So he goes to him, and he says, fine, you can go feed the pigs. Now, we already know in numerous Old Testament passages, uh, Leviticus, also in Deuteronomy, um, the Pharisees remember the ones listening to this, and they're going, no, a, a Jewish guy does not do that. That's how bad things were. That's how bad things were. But all of a sudden, what we find is that this guy is longing to now fill his belly. Even with the pods that the pigs would eat. Now, you've all seen pigs eat before, right? I mean, they're just all crammed in there. He's feeding them, and he ends up eating and filling his belly with the pigs full of pods, which was this berry type thing, right? Is this really bitter black berry comes and clumps, uh, clumps and they would eat that. And that's what he's eating right now. I mean, just disgrace. But I think it was at this moment that he began to really evaluate his heart. Are you willing to evaluate your heart, right? How far do you have to go before you recognize you need to go back to the Father? Are you willing to evaluate, to examine your faith, to evaluate your heart? Nobody's giving anything to him. And all of a sudden it tells us in verse 17 and following. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many, uh, isn't that great? Don't you want somebody just to come to their senses? Have you ever told someone that? You need to come to your senses. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, excuse me, make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. Now right there, if you're a parent, that's when you're like, yes! That dum-dum has finally figured out, you'd know, you've said it before. That dum-dum has finally figured out that he's done so many bad things. He's coming to his senses, and that, and this is the Pharisees too, by the way, parents. Because they're going, yes, that's exactly what he needs to do. He needs to run back to the Father and tell the Father, you know what? I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm a sinner. I'm horrible. I'm horrific. Will you please just forgive me and beg for mercy? That's what he needs to do. In fact, many of us would tell others that's what they need to do to someone else when they've done something wrong to them. Isn't it? Well, you need to go to them. You need to ask for forgiveness. And you better hope that they forgive you. So, now, he hasn't done this. He came to his senses, and this is what he's thinking. He says, he, comes to his, he, he came to his senses, and he says, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? I'm starving. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. 
brilliant idea. I'll go back to my father. I'll tell him, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, because even that's going to be better than where I am now. And so he got up and he went to his father. He has nothing left. He's dying of hunger, and he finally comes to his senses. How much has to go wrong in your life before you come to your senses? Everybody is built differently, right? That's the beauty of who God is. Some of us, it doesn't take much. All right, one of my kids, I can go like this, and they cry. One of my kids, I can spank as hard as I can, and they can look at me and say, that's all you got? Right? How far do you have to go before you come to your senses? Finally, I think the younger son is what we find by him getting up and going to his father, verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. I think that's when we see true brokenness. I think before that we saw desperation. 17, 18, and 19, I think we saw desperation. Desperation doesn't always lead to the right thing. Hey, I think I could go do this. But what we finally see is when he had action to it, right? When there's actual action to that desperation, it's called brokenness. He would not have had brokenness if he had never gotten up to go back to his father. If he would have stayed with the pigs living in this life that God never intended for him to live in, there would have never have been brokenness. But he got up, verse 20, he got up and he went back because there was brokenness. Nowhere else to turn. All of his resources are gone. You see, brokenness often comes when you recognize who you actually are. Brokenness often comes when you recognize who you actually are. And it's also where repentance begins. Repentance often begins, it begins with an assessment of your own condition. Evaluating your heart. I told you this passage is going to make you evaluate your heart. Well, that's what repentance does. Repentance begins with an assessment of your own condition of your heart. And the son knew what he had to do. But here's what I love so much. This is so, so beautiful. Luke chapter 15. So he says, He's longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and none. No one gave him anything. But he came to himself. He came to his senses. Came to himself. Came to his senses. And he said, How many of my father's servants have all this? I'm going to go back to him. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. He arose and came to his father. Now, I know I'm talking about the father next week, but listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's all I'm going to share because I'm not getting to the father. But here's what's so amazing to me. He thought about having to say all those things. I'm I'm a sinner. I've done horrible things. I'm so sorry. But he didn't have to utter one of them. Have you ever thought about that? We would tell someone, you need to go and you need to ask for forgiveness, you wretched piece of dirt. We would. 
But this guy, he didn't have to say any of it because the father knew his heart condition. Isn't it amazing how we ask more from someone who has wronged us than God asks? How dare us? Why? Because even forgiveness in life, forget, when you forgive someone else, it has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with who you are in Christ. If you have blood going through your veins, you will be wronged in this life. I assure you of that. But in the name of Jesus Christ, he will, in the end, he will right everything. And so many of us are struggling with that. We want them, now wait a second, you didn't say I'm sorry. Like this is really, my wife and I now are talking about this, like how do we parent? Like when it comes to saying I'm sorry and all these different things, I'm not saying people shouldn't say I'm sorry, but I'm going, like, man, are, are we requiring things that even God is saying, listen, no, he, here's the father running to embrace and to kiss his son. And we just hold it against him. Maybe a better question is, where is your faith taking you? Man, think about this younger son. His faith, his relationship with the father, man, it was all over the place. Man, it was just, it was all over the place. And you never knew maybe who you were going to get. Because, man, think about the relationship before he even asked for the inheritance to get to that point, And then he ran away and he squanders everything. And now he's coming back. But here's the thing with the son. Is the son knew that he could not stay where he was and still receive his father's love. This wonderful reconciliation, this wonderful relationship with the father never would have existed that we see at the end of the story that we're going to get to in the next couple of weeks. It never would have existed if the son would have stayed with the pigs. He had to get up, right? And he had to go back to the Father. Today, because of this beautiful thing called, called the telephone, if you haven't had true repentance, you've just had desperation. Remember, desperation doesn't always lead to brokenness. Desperation is when you pick up the phone. Hey, Mom, Dad, I've wasted everything, but I still need your help. Can you, can you uh, wire some money over? Or even better yet, hey, can you come where out to where I am and, and help me out? We don't want to have to be inconvenienced. We don't want to have to get up and move, but we'll ask them to do it. Right? This son sets an amazing example for us of what it is to actually get up and go back to the Father. And the Pharisees the whole time, they're going, I cannot believe this is taking place. Cannot believe. No, this is not possible. Even, and we'll get into the whole father thing and everything else is going to be unfolded in front of us in this story. But here's what I've learned even from the younger son. Is that when he got up and he went back to his father and he was received and he embraced. Is it just reminds me of this fact. Is that scripture, the word of God and Jesus Christ, they always point forward. Have you noticed that? Scripture always points us forward. 
The father didn't want him to live and to dwell in the fact that he was eating with pigs. He wanted him to run forward. He wanted him to move forward in his life. Scripture points forward. Jesus points forward. And so many of us are so busy looking back like this. Well, that's where I used to be. Here's the great news is you don't have to be there anymore because of the perfect nature of Jesus. Scripture points us forward. God can redeem anyone at any time from what? Anything. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to invite the praise team to come back out. But this is what I want us to do today to close because we know that you can't stay where you are and return to God. The son knew that he could not stay where he was and return to God. In fact, I'd like you, do me, Nathan gets to work with me, which means he never knows what to expect. Yay! I want this, all of this moved right now out there. He'll do it for me because he loves me. He's a brother in Christ. Thank you. Let's move it all out. Right now, all of you are thinking, I'm so glad I don't work here. This is the reason I want him to do this. Ashley, John, thank you for helping. The son knew that he had to get up from where he was currently living and he had to go back to the father. Right? He didn't need to send a letter, make a phone call. He needed to get up. And let me tell you, you know how hard that must have been? To get up and go back to the Father. Like everybody would have seen it. The community would have known his family. His family had a lot of resources. They would have known who he was. And so he was publicly, publicly getting up and going to a new place. He knew he could not stay where he was and then return to the Father. And so many times we don't want the inconvenience or the awkwardness of having to get up and to go to the Father. Like some people would tell me, like, Joel, you can't ask him to move his keyboard in the middle of a service. The, the, just the logistics of it, they don't really make sense. And so we do the same thing with our relationship with God. We go, well, it just doesn't really make sense. We don't want the inconvenience. We don't want the inconvenience of having to get up and go back to the Father. But here's what I think, is, let me tell you what I think God's doing here at Chapel Point. I think God is bringing a group of people together who all collectively at the same time God is calling out to and he's, he's calling out saying, come back to me fully. And what I think you're going to see happening, I truly believe this, and when, when a pastor says this, they know they're on the hook for it, but I'm really not, it's Holy Spirit, so blame him. God is calling us to have a, a sea of people returning to the Father. 
Like having the courage to get up from where we are and to go back to him. Not part way, not where you just get out of the pig pen and you're like, okay, it's better now. I'm not going to go all the way back, all the way back. Until you feel his embrace and you feel the kiss on your cheek. That's why I wanted him to move this today. Because it's not convenient. But we can't stay where we are and return to the Father. So I'm going to ask that we get up today and that we return to the Father. And some of you know you need to. But it's going to take a lot of guts to do it. A lot of courage. I'm going to ask that we stand together and that there's a song that's going to be sung. And I'm literally, I'm asking you to get up and to come to the altar, if you're willing, and to call out to God today. And let him know that you are returning to him fully, not partially, but fully. You're returning to the name of Jesus. And that you're willing to let him do anything he needs to do in your life. So that you can give glory and attention to the name that is above every name. I'm asking you to get up. And not to stay where you are. I know some of you have walked in for maybe years. And you've sat in that same place and you have never moved. Maybe we need to get up and move. So I'm asking you, will you join me? And running back to the Father. As they sing this song, you're invited to come forward and to pray, to call out to Him. May we do this at this time. Let's pray.